Well, we're going to continue on uh, with the best sermon ever. And I want to remind you, it's not me preaching the best sermon ever. It's the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus taught and what he preached about. I was in, uh, you know, I, I go to the subway uh, over, let's see, Sam always gets me. Sam, is it over there? Am I close? Yeah, I think so. You, the subway right over there off of uh, Harper. Yeah, building relationships with people, getting to know the, the manager there, Justin. But uh, anyway, uh, the Dokes own that one and a few other ones. And uh, they are First Baptist Free Rancho folks, known for years. Their mom, uh, very influential in the First Baptist Church of Bloomfield. We knew June for many, many years. And she, I got in line, and this lady comes up next to me, which... If you don't know, I, don't, I, li- I have a little space issue that I, I like to keep, and she was right there. And it was Mana, and she goes, you're preaching the best sermon ever. And I was like, what? No, I had to explain it all to her. But it just reminded me sometimes the things we put on a sign or, or mention or say, people are paying attention to. She said, I drove by that and thought about that. And then she said, I knew you, and I knew it wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, great. At least you read the sign. Hopefully others will. But we are in the midst, uh, we've started out in uh, 5, 6, and 7, chapters in uh, Matthew, and we're in chapter 5, we're, we're knee-deep into the Beatitudes, and we're looking at verse 7 today. So you want to turn to Matthew 5, 7. Everyone should have a nanny in their life. Maybe you don't know what, that's, what I'm talking about. That would be my maternal grandmother. Everyone should have a nanny in your life. What was the name of your nanny? Say it on three. One, two, three. Grandma? I heard a long one over here somewhere. All right. Okay, yes. My nanny was uh, my spiritual mentor for quite a few years during my childhood and adolescence, especially some years where my family was just blown to smithereens, just things going crazy, and I would get to go twice, three times, I think, would spent the summer in El Paso, Texas with Nanny and Papa, but especially with Nanny, and she was my spiritual mentor. In fact, some of my most treasured books in my library, in my office, guess where they came from? Nanny, they have her handwriting, and so you've heard of Arthur Pink. I don't agree with everything, but I agree with some of it. Wrote a lot of books. I pulled out this little book on the attributes of God, and I opened it up to a certain page, and there was her handwriting all over it. And here's what I love about her. He, amen, scripture verse, and then, I don't believe that. <laughs> you are wrong to write that. You know, so she was, the, she was someone who was working out her faith and her life with the Lord. Now, she was generous to me. She forgave me, and she had compassion towards me. In other words, she was merciful to me. She was merciful to me. Now, when she would be frustrated uh, with the world or with me, she, would, she had this thing she would say. Are you ready? I can't quite do it like she would say it. She would say, Rarbazel. It's, I looked it up. There's no word, rarbazel. So she would say that. It was a word she made up. There were also times those, when she was frustrated, she would simply say, mercy me. Have any of you ever heard that before? Perhaps someone said that to you while you were growing up. Something like this. Mercy me. What am I going to do with you, child? Anybody? 
Anybody ever got that? Uh, look at those hands going up. Yes. Maybe your mom or your nanny wondered how she survived your childhood. I'm sure my nanny wondered how she did. So we're talking about being merciful today. And being merciful embraces the characteristics. Here you go. If you're taking notes, here's your first shot. It, it, uh, merciful embraces the characteristics of being generous, forgiving others, having compassion for suffering, and providing healing of various types. Let me say that one more time. We'll break that down and talk about some more. But just comprehensively, being generous, forgiving others, having compassionate for suffering, compassion for suffering, and providing healing of various kinds. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament words, in the Hebrew, there are several words. I'll just comment on a few of them real quickly. One means ransom or mercy seat. You've heard of that before, where the blood of atonement was offered to God. Another word means to love, to have compassion. Still another Old Testament word means goodness, kindness, mercifulness. And then we get to the New Testament. In the New Testament language, there are several words. I'm going to mention three uh, today. The first one was employed of one human towards another human, or simply God towards humans. So kind of generic connection there. And then another carries the idea of compassion or pity. Oftentimes we think of pity as a negative word, don't we? But, but in the spiritual con concept, it's not negative, it's actually positive. So it's the idea of compassion or pity, whether of God or whether of people, could go both ways. And then we get to the word that we have here in the passage today, eleemon, means to show mercy. Well, good, they translated well, didn't they? <laughs> to show mercy, to pity, to have compassion, to be merciful. And it, what it depicts, the picture it gives us is a merciful, sympathetic attitude. And that's the word that's used in our focal um, verse here today. I did uh, quite a bit of reading, and I found something very interesting that a number of scholars stated, and it's this. In light of Exodus, just want you to think about this. Don't take this as gospel. This is their opinion. But in light of Exodus 34, 6, some say that mercy may be God's most fundamental attribute. Just think about that for a minute. Nobody knows, right? We'll know in heven. Listen to Exodus 34, 6. You'll remember the context. It's the second giving of the tablets. Remember the first giving of the tablets, Moses? Remember all the mess that went on? And yet he's back again, and God is merciful. Listen to what the passage says. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. The Lord is actually speaking now. Yahweh, the Lord, He's describing himself. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. What an amazing thing the Lord models for us. So let's take a look at uh, verse 7. We're going to actually read up to verse 7. So we have the context here, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the, on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. 
God, we ask you to just continue to speak to us through your word. We acknowledge that it is your revelation to us. It is your love letter to us. It is your instruction to us. It is your motivation for us. And God, we believe it to be God-breathed and true and without error. And we ask that you would open us up, open our hearts up today to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's deal with this progression now that we're deep into the Beatitudes. Remember the first one, poor in spirit. And Jesus, uh, no doubt, has, is systematic. He is, is building one upon the other. It makes sense, if you'll study it, what the master teacher is doing here. And so he starts with the poor in spirit, which gives us the idea of spiritual poverty. The idea of realizing that there is no hope of our own, there is no claim of our own, there is no righteousness of our own. And aren't you glad he doesn't leave us there in that verse? But we acknowledge that. We're poor in spirit. And then that leads to mourning. Mourning over the sin condition. Not so much just worrying about everyone's sin condition, but over my sin condition. True repentance. Which then brings about meekness. And you'll remember, meekness is not weakness, but it is strength under God's control. And all of this develops a hunger. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? about having new appetites, and it brings about this hunger for the person following Christ, and then as one hungers and thirsts for all of God's righteousness, do you remember that last week? Not righteousness in general, but God's righteousness, and not part of it that we like, but all of it, as we hunger and thirst for that, the person develops mercy. So let's begin with point number one. God is our example of mercy. I didn't realize this would happen in these sermons, but it kind of seems like we always have a point about God being the example. I think God is teaching, I don't know about you, but he's teaching me something. Even in my points, he's teaching me that he is the example. Look to him, look to him, look to him. The word mercy, though, I think should be seen in the historic and positive meaning. I want you to think positively today. Jesus' use of this word is based on the frequently used Old Testament word, which expresses a very unique quality that Jehovah has. It's the quality, have you ever read this in Scripture? Of his everlasting mercy. It's that quality that we see. And this is the example. In other words, what God did for us in Jesus. Now you think about it. I'm not talking physically the cross and resurrection. We understand that. But the idea that he identified with us, his creation, right? Sinners. He identified with us and he suffered on behalf of our sin. Do you think God suffered on behalf of our sin? Absolutely. He said his one and, and only, his rescue plan involved Jesus coming from heaven down to earth to experience everything that we experienced, to live this perfect sinless life, and then he died. He was killed. He was beaten. All kinds of things happened to him. It's an example of mercy. So let's consider that God's mercy is, and I put a lot of things there in your sermon notes, but number one, God's mercy is rooted in his goodness and love. Numbers 14, 18. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. 
forgiving iniquity and transgression. So God's mercy is rooted in his goodness and love. Secondly, it, God's mercy is great. 1 Kings 3, 6. 1 Kings 3, 6. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have continued this great kindness, that's another word for mercy, this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. God's mercy is also everlasting. Of course, many of us will think of Psalm 136. And here's verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You've heard that one? We sing songs about that, don't we? In fact, what's interesting in that psalm, every verse in that psalm ends with, for his mercy endures forever. Look it up, over and over. Hey, if you ever wanted to memorize a psalm, you're halfway there. Entire psalm. You just got to get the first phrases. You've got the second. For his mercy endures forever. Not only is God's mercy everlasting, it is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. What does that mean, thousand generations? That's the description of what? It just goes on and on and on. He is faithful, he is faithful, and he keeps mercy on and on and on. God's mercy is also unfailing. Back to Exodus, Exodus 15, 13. You have led in your mercy the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And then I mentioned long-suffering kind of goes along with the first one, but that's Numbers 14, 18 again. Just that idea that God, he even describes himself as being slow to anger. God's mercy is also universal. This, we're getting into trouble now. Some people don't want to deal with this. There are some Christians that don't like this. But Scripture is clear that God's mercy is universal. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Listen to the rest of the verse. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he made. Even that relative that no one likes, God can be merciful, right? Even that business person that was unethical and did you wrong, God can have mercy. Even that person who believes oh, things that are diametrically opposed to God's word and his principles, God can be merciful. So his mercy is universal. But let's go further and qualify some things. God's mercy is received by the repentant. Deuteronomy 13, 17, and 18. Deuteronomy 13, 17, and 18. Nothing from that which is put under the ban shall cling to your hand in order that the Lord may turn, okay, God was mad at him, that the Lord may turn from his burning anger and show mercy to you and have compassion on you and make you increase just as he has sworn to your fathers. But there's a condition, listen. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments, which I am commanding you today, and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. So, boy, God's mercy just gets all over 
the repentant person. And then God's mercy is evident on the mercy seat. Just one verse, Leviticus 16.2. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the veil in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die because I appeared in the cloud above the mercy seat. So let me say it this way. God is our example of mercy. Summarize it kind of like this. God's mercy, listen closely, don't miss this. God's mercy shows that God desires to save all. Now hang on, this is not universalism here. That God's mercy shows that he desires to save all. Not that he must save all, not that he will save all, Why would you say that, Lamar? Because God cannot do what is impossible in this way in that it is impossible to force a free choice. I don't understand it all. I have studied it for years. I continue to study it. You know I'm not an ism person, but I feel like the sovereignty of God is here and choice that God gave is here and there are two pillars that hold up things that we won't understand completely until eternity. But the fact is... We have that choice that he has given. If we have faith, it's what he has given. And yet he's also sovereign and can do whatever he wants. So you you see how that works. So don't try too hard to figure out God. Spend a little more time figuring out what God is commanding you to do and how God, his spirit, is working through you. Well, how would I illustrate that? I've shared it before, but listen to 2 Peter 3, 9, and 10. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? The Lord has not returned, I believe, Scripture teaches, because there's still people being saved. Did you know that? There are people repenting and giving their life to the Lord on our planet right now today. Isn't that awesome? And I pray that that is going to happen in Albuquerque, New Mexico as well today. Let's finish off the passage. In case you are wondering about this and you are saying, I'll wait till tomorrow. The Lord is patient. Oh, be careful. Tomorrow is not promised. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the Lord and the works on it will be disclosed. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Don't feel like you just got to get your life in order. No, God's mercy is right there for you today. Don't wait, because guess what? Not a single one of us are guaranteed tomorrow right here. I've been processing a friend. I... uh, we moved to Alamogordo, and this middle schooler, this messed up family, we came to Alamogordo, and by the grace of God and the mercy of God, we stumbled upon the Bethel Baptist Church on Scenic Drive in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Brother Dub was the pastor, Dub Bryant. He has two famous sons, Brad and Bart Bryant, professional golfers. In fact, Bart and I grew up in that church, went through youth group and all that. You remember youth group days and all that? Sunday school classes, eight days apart. My most famous friend. (laughs) Tuesday, 
he was killed in a car accident. And it just reminded me, and even I was watching a little golf yesterday on the TV and the memorial tournament, for those of you that are golfers, and boom, they went to commercial and there popped up a tribute to Bart. I'm like, come on. I'm seeing this over and over again because he had won, that's Jack Nicholas's tournament. He had won that back in 2005. And the Lord just reminded me, there's no guarantee about tomorrow. Bart lost his first wife, Kathy, his high school sweetheart, Kathy Cox, to a brain tumor, brain cancer in 2017. Had met another lady. She had lost her husband to cancer. They got married, and then all of a sudden, here it is, 59 years old, and he is dead. It just reminded me, wow, we're not guaranteed another day. And I love his obituary because it talked about all the things he won. Beat Tiger Woods, tour championship, uh, champions tour victories. And then it talked about his life with Christ and how it mattered. And I was like, thank you, Lord. So you think about mercy and realize that God is wanting to be merciful to you right now. But don't wait. You can turn from your life and repent and run to him. Well, let's move on. That was point number one. Yes, it was the long one. I intended it to be. So we'll move quickly through these next ones. Number two is this, our responsibility to be merciful. It's not just the fact that God is our example of mercy, but we have a responsibility. I mean, the scripture says, blessed, you remember that joyful word, makarios? Blessed are the merciful. Not if they are. It's... It, it's insinuating there are merciful people. So we have a responsibility to be merciful. First of all, however, it is not this. I've heard many people say, this is what it means to be merciful. You're wrong if you say this, okay? Being merciful is not tolerating wicked behavior. Are you hearing me? Being merciful is not ignoring wicked or evil behavior. Or paying no attention to it. You know what that's called? That's not called being merciful. That's called two things. Number one, denial. You with me? And number two, this is hard to hear, codependency. Look that up and study that. There are a lot of codependent Christians out there who are all mixed up in this. That's not what being merciful is. Oh, little darling, it'll be better. Maybe for the 87th time you won't do this again. That's not what it is, okay? It's described in Scripture in a few ways uh, with two words. The first one I want to look at is mercy and grace. Have you seen that phrase over and over in Scripture? Mercy and grace. But what I want you to see is that they're not quite the same thing. Mercy and grace aren't quite the same thing. And lots of times we synthesize it and make them the same thing. You see, mercy deals with symptoms of sin. Grace deals with the problem of sin itself. Mercy offers relief from punishment. Grace offers pardon for the crime. Grace comes first, removing the sin. Mercy eliminates the punishment. Mercy pities us. Grace pardons us. With mercy, I do not get what I deserve, which is what? Say it. Hell. With God's grace, I get what I don't deserve, heaven. Okay? They're cousins. They're close cousins. But they're not quite exactly the same. And then we see another couplet, mercy and love. We see in Scripture all the time. Mercy and love, love and mercy, they go together. But again, they're not the same. Mercy deals with the symptoms of sin. Grace, excuse me, 
Love can do more than just show mercy. Love acts out of affection. Mercy acts out of need. Mercy responds to a problem. Love acts even when there's no problem. Love is constant. Mercy is reserved for times of trouble. The love of God is the catalyst behind his mercy towards us. So all that just leads us to think about this. We have a responsibility. We are responsible in three ways. I listed them in your sermon notes today. Number one, if we are going to be merciful, we, hear me, we are responsible for our attitude. That's a hard one for me to say. Because guess what? Sometimes my attitude is not very merciful. Anyone like me? All the, oh, you perfect people out there. It is amazing. I mean, you think about it. This is, it may be my thorn in the flesh. I don't know if I'm interpreting scripture well, but yet, man, I, God has to, God gives me attitude adjustments all the time. How about you? Man, I'm all pumped up, read some scripture, I'm praying, everything's great, Lord, and on Thanksgiving, right? And all of a sudden he goes, zap. Man, that gets depressing. It's like, you need to repent, you need to change your attitude. So we're responsible for our attitude. What, we need to develop an attitude of care and giving. Are you generous? Are you giving? That's part of being merciful. Do you care? Not just do you care, but do you ever provide care to anyone? We need to develop an attitude of an open heart, not being closed off. Couples, let me just say this to you. Married couples. We need an attitude adjustment. We need to be merciful in our family. For some of us, we need to act merciful. And for others that are maybe married to someone who doesn't act merciful, we need to not be closed off. We need to be open. We, both of us need to do both of these things. So help, help us, Lord, with that. We're to be responsible attitude. Number two, we're to be responsible in our action. You see, mercy is not just a frame of mind. This is why I love scripture. Yes, I've been to seminary. Yes, I survived a class with Dr. E. Earl Ellis. Pauline theology. Oh, man, I, I admit it, I got a C in seminary, and I was happy to get that thing. He was a, don't ever take a class from a distinguished research professor. That means he's smart, and when he, from the first class, you go, if I drop my pen, I'm going to have to drop the class because I'm going to have to write, 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 okay? Why did I say all that? Oh, because the Bible... <laughs> it's a squirrel. Because the Bible is not just an ac academic exercise. Would you agree with that? Yes, I value scholars and great professors and teachers. That's important training. We have a, uh, the next generation generation be training up. Thousands and thousands of people, I pray, they are going to be going into the pastorate, into the mission field, all those kind of things. And yet, mercy is not just an academic exercise. It is not just a frame of mind, but it involves acts of deeds. Let me say it this way as we think about being responsible for our action. If we're merciful, mercy does not remain dormant like a bear in hibernation. There's times it's more like that bear that comes out of hibernation and gets after it. And number three, we're responsible for our association. You see, mercy, I believe, is more than just compassion. 
Association, what does that mean? Connectedness. We must get involved, church. If we're going to be merciful, we must get involved in people's lives. Even people we don't seem to care for. Even people who have messy, complicated lives. And the great example of Scripture that I recall is Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good Samaritan. What a lesson for us. So we do have that responsibility. And, and can I say this? I don't think we would ever arrive this side of heaven. There are mercy lessons for us to learn, and there are other ways that we've never thought of in which we can be merciful. And that can be very winsome and appealing to the lost world out there when they see we're different. We're not biting their head off. We're trying to invest in their life. Point number three, the second part of the verse, is our reward for being merciful. Blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. You see that? It's not they might be merciful and they might get something. That's not what it says. So there is a reward for being merciful. The reason the merciful are blessed is that they will be shown mercy. It's not because you're a good guy or gal. It's not because you did something great, you invented something or whatever. It's because you're joyful, you're blessed because you're shown mercy. And interesting to know when it says they, in the New Testament language, it's emphatic. In other words, we could say it this way, they alone will be shown mercy. It's a good club to be in. Can I say it that way? Now, let me make something clear here. Some of you are smart and you're thinking this. Jesus is not speaking here of salvation, okay? You realize if he was, that would change the entire plan of salvation to what? To works. Martin Lloyd-Jones helps when he states that if Jesus was speaking about salvation here, we would have to, these are his words, cancel the whole doctrine of grace from the New Testament. You see, the Bible is clear that salvation is by grace and free, right? Ephesians 2, we say it all the time, for by grace are you saved through faith and on yourself. It is what? A gift of God, okay? So think about that for a minute. I'm not talking about salvation here, being shown mercy. Furthermore, the mercy we receive is not the mercy of men and women. We're shown mercy. It is the mercy of God himself. Now think about that for a minute. That's good news, church. Would you agree with that? Let me tell you why it's good news. Not just because it's the mercy of God, but because people aren't often very merciful. We don't have that good of a track record, but God does. In summation, I would say this. We are to show mercy because we have received mercy and we are confident that we will continue to receive that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? God is the father of every good gift and God is merciful. On the other hand, if we don't show mercy to others, we show that we either understand little of that mercy or else uh, James Boyce would say it this way, we might never actually have received it. I don't know about you, but I want to be shown mercy. Anybody else? I want to be shown mercy. and God, I, I want to be merciful. God, work through me, and thank you for showing that. Let's finish up with number four, how to develop mercy. I gave you three S words. You see that? I'm hoping you'll remember them this week. Three S words. Number one, supplication. Simply pray for mercy in your life. When's the last time you prayed for mercy in your life? 
and confess your need for it to the Lord. When's the last time you went to the Lord and said, Lord, I confess that I need to be more merciful. I need that in my life. Would you help me? Psalm 86.3. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I call to you, are you ready? All day long. Maybe we pray something like this, Father, I have experienced your compassion and I need to forgive more. I know this is your will for me. Help me be merciful. Secondly, study scripture. You see, here's something that's interesting that I found to be true. Have you found this to be true? The more you read the word of God, the more you will be encouraged to show mercy. The more you read the word of God, the more you will be encouraged to show mercy. Let me give you an example. Matthew 23, 23. The words of Jesus, Matthew 23, 23. Woe, that's a bad word. It means get ready, you're getting zapped. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving others Undone. Wow, think about that for a minute. Man. Sometimes those of us who receive so much mercy from God, and even in leadership, sometimes we are just not merciful. You have your checklist, don't you? We check all these things off. Guess what's on the checklist that we've erased? It's being merciful. We need to put it back on there, and we need to be able to do that. So as we study, I mean, there's lots of verses. That's just one example of how we see the example and the command to be merciful. And then number three is show mercy to others. Hear me. It doesn't do a lot of good just to pray about it and just to study about it. The Christian life is to be a life of action. Amen? It's to be a life of action. So we must show mercy to others. What do I mean by that? I mean practice. Practice it. Practice mercy by how? By being generous, by forgiving others, by having compassion. Let me go back to the beginning of the sermon. I described my nanny exactly in those terms. And she is a good example for me. So what can you do this week? How can you be generous with people this week? How can you forgive? For some of us, there's forgiveness in our family that we haven't dealt with for decades. We're not responsible for how the other person reacts or what God will do or not do in their life, but we're responsible for what God is doing in our lives. And some of us need to forgive someone in our life for God to unleash his mercy, and the merciful quotient into your life. Would you do that? Forgiving others and then having compassion. And let me say it this way. You need to have compassion for your enemies as well as your friends. Do you hear me, church? I mean, it is a volatile time in our world today. One of my relatives just posted something this week that got me fired up. I think the Lord planned that, right? I've got to show mercy to her. I, I, I'm not going to fire off and get in her face and try to convince her of everything in the world. Let me show mercy. Let me be compassionate towards her, even though I violently disagree. Let me illustrate something to you as we're getting ready to close. How many of you ever heard of Tonga? That's it? 
T-O-N-G-A. Back in May, there was the most violent volcanic eruption in a hundred and something years. Anybody heard of that? And Tonga should have been wiped off the map, the experts say, but Tonga did not get wiped off the map. But I want to share something else to you, interesting. Today, 50 days after Easter is called what? Pentecost. Now, we, we don't uh, celebrate or go by a liturgical calendar, but we should know that today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after. Most believe that Jesus was, uh, after the res resurrection, 40-ish days, and then Pentecost is shared that 50 days after, what happened? you remember? The promised Holy Spirit came. Okay? Let me tell you a story about Tonga and see if you can understand showing mercy to others. The year was 1862. United States, we weren't thinking about this island far, far away named Tonga. We were in the midst of the brutal civil war of the United States. And yet, Pentecost, 1862, that Sunday, 50 days after Easter, something amazing happened. 5,000 Tongans, if that's even a word, gathered together. Many who were former cannibals, are you getting that? And sang what many believe is the first missionary hymn, an Isaac Watts hymn, Jesus Shall Reign. Maybe some of you have heard it. Pentecost, 1862, former cannibals, 5,000 on this island are singing, Jesus shall reign. How did they know that song? Somebody went. Missionaries went to Tonga, and they showed mercy to them. They sat with them. They kept from being eaten. <laughs> they shared the gospel, and people were saved. That's the ultimate Example I can think of about being merciful. You think about that for a minute. Be generous. Forgive. Have compassion. Go. Even if it's across the street or around the corner. Share the love of Christ. Share what we sang about today. Jesus, Messiah, name above all names. Wow. It's amazing to think about how God's mercy must have been so present on that island in the 1860s. Hmm. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Here's a command for us. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It is my prayer today, family, that God would develop more mercy in all of us. And I would ask, I would implore you to take this week, even if you're working in VBS, carve out some extra time to evaluate mercy in your life and to implement it. I'm gonna, I, I know we're just a little over, I apologize, but I, 
I feel led to read from Ephesians. In fact, I'm having to turn to it, so it's not in my notes. Ephesians chapter 2. We know it, don't we? But let me read the context of it. Let me start in verse 4. But God. Have you ever read all the but gods in the Bible? It means God shows up. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And for by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Is this you today? Is this your testimony? If not, why not receive what God is offering today? That's the gospel. We're sinners and we need a rescue. And God has provided it. Verse 4, he's abundant in mercy. For Christians today, I'm reminded of Micah 6.8, that great command in Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Well, it's a question, but the answer is given. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray and I ask today that we would consider what it means to be merciful. Today, Lord... In fact, folks, I just want you to stay seated for a moment and just spend time with the Lord, okay? No distractions. You just focus on the Lord. Lord, would you show us our mercy quotient right now in our lives? God, during this time of introspection, this time of response to you, we have heard your word. We have heard principles from your word. God, we ask now that you would make them known into our lives. God, would you customize your truth into our lives? God, right now, would, would people all around the room, online, just give us a moment to see, see where we are in this great topic, merciful. God, we do acknowledge your mercy to us. Lord, may you show each one of us as individuals that we can have compassion, how we can be generous, how we can be forgiving. God, I pray for a mercy revolution to hit us here in Albuquerque. Lord, we thank you for your word. Whether we sing it or speak it or preach it or pray it, that you desire 
for us to turn and run from our sin and run to you. And I pray that people would do that today. We thank you that you have the power to forgive and you have the power and the throne to be the Lord of our life. And so, God, we ask for that today. God, we're thankful that we can gather today and just spend time together proclaiming, praying, praising. God, may we be different being here today. God, may you bless our our classes as we meet together. Some already have, many will be after this service, that we would just do life together well. We thank you for those who support us, pray for us, just live life with us in our classes. God, we especially pray as well for our VBS, for the incredible responsibility and privilege we have this week. God, make us faithful, available, and teachable. Speak into our lives, not just the lives of children. And we thank you in advance for that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.